0: Block Talk Radio. Once a minute, man?
1: of the show on another Sunday afternoon. guy along with the coach with the most coming us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag but he has to boast because his favorite all-time practice is bread French Toast coach Mike Jones. Real fast before we jump into the interview today, if you were looking for some pro wrestling today, WCWO running a rookie showcase at the Alha Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. Northwest Pro getting day two of Wailing Days underway shortly, that is in Silverdale, Washington, Russell Club, a 4 still ongoing in Caldwell, Idaho for that festival, NAP in Indianapolis, NEW in Lebanon, Connecticut, and ECPW in Guilford, Connecticut. Without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the program. She is the queen of the barefoot deathmatch, Sarah Dox. Sarah, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, since it is your first time with us, I'm going to lead you off today with our traditional first-timer question. What got you into the business of professional wrestling? Uh,
2: I mean, I think it's kind of a... A sticky thing that all professional wrestlers loved professional wrestling in their childhood. My dad likes to tell people that he took me to see The Rock, and he took me to see Annie, and it's very clear which one I preferred.
1: I'm going to presume it was The Rock.
2: It was, yeah. (laughs) It
1: was. And when you got into training to be a wrestler, did you have any uh, organized athletic background or a drama background or anything that was going to prepare you for the training or was it all sort of a new concept for you once you started your training?
2: I had always been an athlete when I was younger. When I was a kid, I loved sports. I loved playing sports. Um, I played football. I played hockey. I ice skated. I did ballet. I did everything. Um, when I played tennis, like, uh, competed in states in tennis in high school. So none of those are like wrestling, though, is the thing. Nothing that I did prepared me for wrestling in a way that I should have been probably coming in. Um, I did have a a small theater background. I, I also, in high school, was big into theater and was, like, a, a kind of a drama kid for a while. But, once again, it it wasn't the same as wrestling. Nothing I – even when I played tennis, I played tag tennis. So nothing I ever did was just me until wrestling.
1: Now, on the uh, ice skating front that you mentioned, Hulk Hogan was clubbed in the knee by a master assailant at a clash of champions which was very reminiscent of nancy kerrigan's knee being attacked by a rival ice skating clip
2: yeah yeah by uh um i just forgot her name margot robbie plays her in the movie
1: though uh about it tanya harding
2: tanya harding yeah.
1: yeah i mean little that tanya harding is- actually managed on a show up in our neck of the woods in Oregon uh, when AAA came up from Mexico for a big show.
2: I did not know that. That's fantastic.
1: Uh, when you were watching wrestling, one of the things that you would not have seen on national television would be the death matches, and that has sort of become your calling card in your career what led to you getting into the deathmatch aspect of things
2: um when i was younger i was really into ecw and uh, attitude era wrestling so hardcore was just part of what i associated with wrestling but i really from a young age got hooked on watching like full mikado and japanese wrestling and deathmatches whether they were called death matches or not, extreme stipulations were bigger there first. And when I started training, I was like, this is the kind of wrestling I liked. And at the time, they weren't as big in the U.S., and everybody was like, no, we don't wrestle like that. You should just learn to wrestle first. So I wrestled, and I did... A very classic professional wrestling for the first couple of years in my career. And I finally kind of put the boot down. And I was like, listen, I'm seeing other people do the kind of matches I want. I want to do that stuff. And it, it took four years of me asking someone to give me a chance to try and do it before anybody would. But then after I got my first death match, it kind of took off from there. People were like, hey, she can do this.
1: Uh, We've seen a lot Of female Talent excel at death matches In the last few years You have people like Mickey Knuckles And Randy West And Amazing Maria And so many more That have gotten into that part of wrestling That you would not have seen 10 to 15 years ago Because Death matches were something that promoters did not see females being able to do or not seeing it as a draw as what fans would pay to see. The landscape has definitely changed. Do you think that coming into the business when you did benefited you greatly because of the acceptance now of the death match?
2: I do. I think because um – I didn't have this struggle. Mickey and Randy and, like, Lufisto and those women, they really paved the way. They set a tone saying, like, hey, this is going to happen one way or another. So I, I might have had to fight to get someone to give me the opportunity, but by the time people were giving me opportunities, like, Queen of the Death Match was already established women were already doing this other places, I was just struggling to get it where I'm located. They're all, I mean, Randy and Mickey are like two of my favorite people ever because they're just so strong and so like, so vehemently who they are. There's no denying them when we see them perform. They're the best at what they do.
1: Absolutely. We Maria, that in the
2: same regard, I tell everyone that Amazing Maria is like one of the most overlooked female death match wrestlers there is. Maria's crazy. She's wild. She's fantastic to be around.
1: I would even go so far as to say she is amazing, and as I tell <laughs> people in locker rooms all over the place whenever I'm there, she is the toughest person in the business I've seen her wrestle multiple matches the night before she had complete ACL repair surgery. So if I hear a complain yeah. on a headache, they get a story on Amazing Maria.
2: Yeah, exactly. Maria and Mickey is the same. I mean, and Randy, they're all the day before they're going in for surgery. Or um, recently I got to tag with Mickey at Girl Fight and... We're like getting ready for the match and I'm putting on shoes and I look over at her and she's like, hey, will you help me for a second? I was like, yeah, what do you need? And she's like, I need you to hold this gauze in place because she had just had surgery like the week before and had a to remove glass from her leg and had like a, a hole the size of like my hand in her thigh. And she was stellar in the match. It never fazed her.
1: I believe it. Mickey Knuckles hit me the second hardest I've ever been hit in my life. So <laughs> I 100% believe it. I now, we know being on the independent I circuit someone. that, um, I'd say Cameron Starr hit me the hardest, but Mickey Knuckles was a close second.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, promoters are known for putting a ring anywhere a ring will fit. As long as they can run a show, they will set up the ring and try to draw a crowd, which leads to some more unusual venues, as we'll say. Uh, Wrestling can be fit into literal barns or parking lots or anywhere that you can fit a ring and some fans What's the most unusual venue where you've wrestled?
2: The most unusual for, like, shape and size is uh, I once wrestled inside of what used to be a Dollar Tree, but it was not a big Dollar Tree. It was a very small store. And, I mean, the crowd was there and they this was years ago, they crammed people into this very, very tiny building. But honestly, the building couldn't have been wider than my living room, and I don't live in an unusually sized house. Like, it was like a, a 12 by 12 ring, and there was like rows for one row of seats on each side, and you kind of had to shimmy past to get into the ring. So that was definitely the smallest. Um, I've wrestled on farms. I've wrestled in old warehouses and factories and, um, like, uh, I've wrestled Uh, in outdoor uh, bars, indoor bars. 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 That was definitely – I don't know. That one's always struck me as being odd just because of how tight it was.
1: This time of year, especially in a lot of the country – we see outdoor shows become commonplace because a lot of fairs and festivals will do paid shows so they can have wrestling as part of their entertainment. There's a lot of shows happening outdoors and those compose different problems as far as things that can go wrong than inside of a venue. Do you personally enjoy doing the outdoor shows?
2: Um, I don't mind outdoor shows necessarily. Um, it just depends on where they are. so like in in the southeast, where I am, outdoor shows are super common in the summer, and I personally think it gets way too hot in Tennessee and Alabama to do outdoor shows. When it's farther north, I don't mind at all. Um, but I I've wrestled outdoors as late as like November and December in Tennessee, and it wasn't unbearable because it still wasn't that cold. Uh, my only issue with outdoor shows is when promoters forget porta potties. I don't want to have to go pee in the woods.
1: That <laughs> uh, would be awkward.
2: Yeah, it's not great when you're, like, trying to get ready and you have to go do it in the woods next to someone else who's also using the bathroom. I'm not into
1: that. (laughs) Now, speaking of Tennessee, that is one of the more historically rich states for pro wrestling, going back to the very beginnings. There's pretty much always been pro wrestling in Tennessee since the sport began, And you can go back to the days of Nick Goulas and then later Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett, uh, Corey Macklin. There's uh, been so many great moments in pro wrestling that came out of Tennessee. Tons and tons of wrestlers that got their fame in Tennessee. Do you personally ever do any research as far as the history of professional wrestling in your home state
2: i do well i trained at nwa smoky Mountain, so i came up in the the cornet territories like i'm very familiar when i was training it wasn't optional like we had to know those kinds of things i've wrestled in the same building as like the unabomber and where those kinds of deals got started um Freedom Hall in Johnson City, Tennessee, and the Knoxville Coliseum here—they they're historic for some really great moments in in the territory days and like older wrestling history. I've always kind of made the joke that like uh, I I was trained at Smoky Mountain and I was trained very classically, and I didn't. And I start getting to travel and see things until I did death matches, and a lot of them are intergender. So it wasn't until I would like make Jim Cornette uh, totally explode out of distaste for everything I was doing out of his territories that I got good.
1: Um, Tennessee also is home still to a lot of Legendary wrestlers, a lot of wrestlers just made their homes there. You have people like Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett and a lot of people from 30, 40 years ago and beyond that still live in Tennessee. Most of them still do appearances. If they aren't wrestling, they'll do autograph sessions and things of that nature. On shows you do, how common is it? To see a lot of these Tennessee legends at the shows.
2: Oh, it's still pretty common. I mean, the Rock and Roll Express is pretty much everywhere in the area we are. So i Ricky Morton is like was at ninety percent of the first four years worth of shows that I went. If I didn't see Ricky Morton on it, I thought it was unusual. Um, and I. I mean, Knox County's mayor is Kane, so wrestling is still very heavy here, and their influences. I mean, Dr. Tom's school is right here. You see those kinds of people all over.
1: As far as sort of the legendary names, guys that have that national experience go, did you have a couple of go to people when you had questions or you needed advice or just wanted someone to watch your matches and critique it?
2: I did. When I first started training my um my trainer was Chase Owens and he ended up getting to do his first run pre bullet club in Japan during like the time frame I was training. So they sent me to train with someone else, and that was, I trained for a while with Jason Kincaid, and I got to manage him, and I worked very heavily at the time. I was on the road constantly with Jessie Bell Smothers, and so Tracy was around all the time, and that was where I met Mickey at first, even long before death matches, was being on the road with us Smothers. And to be honest, I've always had the same go-to. Um, Menace is, for me, a, I, I think, he's nationally a legend, and he's one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever seen perform, and just an absolute treasure to have shared locker rooms with. So,
1: oh, Making towns with Tracy, how many times did you hear the phrase Let's start off slow and taper down from there.
2: <laughs> I've heard that quite a bit. I've heard, I'm going to get you with some of these, and you're going to get me with some of these, and then I'm going to do this, and then you're going to fall down. I've heard. <laughs> I I got a lot of, because we would show up in towns, and Tracy would already be there, because Jesse would come to get me. And I got a lot of... My favorite Tracy line is very personal to me because it, it was always, "Hey kid, don't let my daughter drive." And the <laughs> first time I ever made the mistake of letting Jessie Bell Smithers drive the car, she so ran it out of gas on the highway in the middle of the night. So, so I never let her drive again.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you there. Well, at this point, my co-host, Coach Mike Jones, is standing by, and I know Coach has questions for you as well, so I'm going to pass things over to the coach with the most.
0: Okay. Hey, Sarah, hey, sir. how you doing?
2: Good, how are you?
0: I'm great here in the Northwest. Yeah, I'm a big fan of yours, and uh, my goodness, it's like uh, you're very impressive, and my goodness, uh, fearless and everything. <laughs> I
2: don't know about fearless, but... I'm stubborn, that's it. <laughs> okay. I don't like to think that I can't do anything, and then i I don't know being scared isn't an option when you're when you're real pig headed. That's what
0: I tell people <laughs> okay all right, so uh, who were some of your heroes when you were growing up in ordinary life
2: in ordinary life um well, wrestling was uh, meant a lot to me as a kid uh my, my big, like, wrestling hero and someone I actually had the very great pleasure of meeting and made a, a super big butt out of myself by just crying the entire time because I'm a crybaby <laughs> is uh, I got to meet Goldust, and when I was a kid, I, I thought Goldust was, like, everything. Um, it was pretty much I wanted to watch Goldust wrestle because of the Goldust and Roddy Piper feud. Or I wanted to just grow up and become China. And unfortunately, <laughs> I stopped growing at 5'7", so that didn't happen.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, and then big, what right. I'm listening.
2: Uh, I was going to say, I was a big comic book nerd, too. So I liked comic book characters and, like, cartoon characters. I have Captain America tattooed on my leg.
0: All right. Nice. All right, and, and what I about, a, okay, I'm listening ahead. still, sorry.
2: No, I was going to say, listening. and I have a Peter Pan tattoo, because I, I was a big, when I was real little, I loved the uh,
0: the movie Hook,
2: with oh, yeah, Robin yeah. Williams, and yeah.
0: Nice, okay. And then what about in sports and music? Did you have any heroes in those uh, areas? I did. Uh, I was a so
2: my dad my dad was really certain that I was going to grow up and be the first professional NFL kicker, and okay. I grew up in Baltimore, so I, in the time frame, Matt Stover was the guy. I wanted to grow up and become Matt Stover, and a lot of people think it's unusual because you don't hear a lot of kids that are like, oh, I want to grow up and be a, an NFL kicker, but it was Matt Stover, and I was nice. a big Tony Saragusa fan. Um because that was the time frame when the Ravens were just undeniable, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then what, what's your longest field goal you've ever kicked?
2: Oh, God. Um, well, not these days, but when I was younger, uh, the longest I ever got, I think, was 38 yards. What's funny is I've always had a much better arm than leg. I could throw a football like it was nobody's business, but... Being five foot seven, and at the time when I was a kid, like eighty pounds, nobody really could use me as a quarterback. So, wow,
0: that's impressive! My goodness, thirty-eight yards—that's a long ways.
2: Yeah, I love sports. I, oddly enough, I'm very clumsy in real life. I could trip walking, but (laughs) I am so competitive that I would just repeat a task, kid, until I was like the best at doing it, and field goals were one of those things that were just over and over and over again, the same motion. So eventually you could be the best.
0: Right on, okay. And then uh, let me see. This next segment is called Favorites. I'm sure Sign Guy and the rest of the fans would like to know what your favorite coffee to drink is. My favorite coffee? Anything that's cold with
2: a lot of sugar in it. I don't care if it's cheap. I don't care if it's expensive. I like cold coffee. I don't do hot coffee.
0: Okay, and what's your favorite concerts you've seen?
2: My favorite concerts I've ever seen. I saw Vlogging Molly and the Dropkick Murphys when I was younger, and that one was really great. But the best of them all was I saw Rancid a couple years back, and I absolutely adore
0: Rancid. Nice. Okay. And then you mentioned the Baltimore Ravens is one of your favorite teams. Any other favorite teams?
2: Yes. I love the Flyers in NHL, and I'm an O's girl. We don't have – Baltimore doesn't have a hockey team, so it's the Flyers all day.
0: Okay. And then let
2: me see. I don't watch basketball, but when I do – I like the Raptors, but it's only because
0: that's probably the coolest mascot of, like, all time. All right. And then what's your self-defense background?
2: Um, well, like I said, I grew up in Baltimore, and I was uh, kind of a tiny kid for a while. So so it's uh, pretty much based on pure adrenaline and whatever I need to do to get out of there as quick as possible. Um, <laughs> okay, I took took a couple years of, like, I tried karate and I tried some Krav Maga. I really liked Sambo, but it was hard to find anywhere to learn Sambo, so.
0: Okay, nice. And then uh, what are some of the most memorable matches you've ever seen? And that includes VHS tape, TV, live, whatever. Um.
2: I always, always, always will go to um my favorite is the is Gold Dust and Piper. That uh feud ending in the outdoor brawl that comes into the ring, uh, at that point in time, gold dust has been hit in the side of the head with a bat and they're hitting each other with cars and like fire hoses and stuff and it all ending in essentially gold dust being stripped down to women's lingerie. <laughs> um is that's the one for me. It has literally everything. It has traditional wrestling, it has weapons, it has comedy, it has a story. It is one of the most iconic matches in the world to me.
0: Definitely, yeah. Okay, when well, it comes what about to, excuse me?
2: No, I was gonna say when it comes to like more modern death stuff, I'm pretty pretty fanatical about um Sum Yak and JC Bailey doing barefoot.
0: Wow, okay. And then what about some of your most memorable matches?
2: Oh man, I don't know. I have so I have a weird weird wrestling experience where I have a really hard time watching my matches but when I think about the things I enjoy the most like when i was wrestling the things i felt like did the best in um i really loved getting to work i've i've always loved working raven havoc i loved working neil diamond cutter the highlighty match of like <laughs> i got spoiled was it was me and mickey knuckles and randy west outside uh doing like what I would consider one of my first bigger death matches. The only unfortunate side to that match is I didn't get to finish it. Oh, I actually what happened? had my arm got, uh, my bicep got like cut almost in half by a light tube. Oh, goodness.
0: Yeah. Dang, then, that don't sound fun.
2: Well, the beauty of glasses, and I tell everyone this, it happens fast. So I didn't feel oh. any pain. Okay, I didn't yeah. have the ability to, like, close my hands because it cut your nerves and tendons.
0: Oh, jeez. Oh, and I man. And I had to go
2: to the hospital immediately, clearly, so.
0: My goodness, goodness. Uh, you're lucky to be alive. Oh, my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you mentioned some of your favorite people to work. Who else are some of your favorite people to work? Oh,
2: I actually really, um, I really like wrestling. My husband Brad Cash, believe it or not, he's maybe it's just because I get to beat him up for like not doing the dishes at home or whatever. But I think we have really good matches together. Um, I had a great match recently at AWR with Hardway Heater, and I would really like to. I don't know, go back and revisit that to do that match over again. I really enjoyed working him.
0: Awesome. And I
2: love working Randy West.
0: Nice. Okay, let's see here. Um, Who are some of your toughest opponents?
2: I mean, Mickey, Randy, and Maria are all really, really tough women that hit super hard. Um, I think one of the... I guess maybe it's because I didn't expect it. But uh, Sade Sin might be one of the toughest people I've ever wrestled against. She is so tiny and so beautiful and just an absolute powerhouse of a person. Every shot just felt like it was coming out of a cannon. So.
0: Wow. <laughs> okay. And then let's see here. What are your suggestions for people wanting to get into the business?
2: I actually had a girl ask me this the other day. My suggestions are always the same. Do your research for your area. Find out who the most reliable trainer is, not just through, like, the old boy system of having someone tell you this is a good guy to go train with. But you should look into who is doing the best with wrestling. Is this person traveling on the road? Are they, you know, having good matches on, that you can find online or on video or, you know, through DVD sales or whatever? Um, and just you gotta, you got to mentally tough it out as much as you do physically because I think that while wrestling is physically demanding, it is mentally one of the, the biggest struggles you'll fight if you, if you aren't ready for it.
0: Yes, definitely. Okay, and then let's see here. What do you got coming up? Um,
2: I have some matches here in Tennessee. I'm actually, so I just had my first, like, two or three matches back after uh, an injury. I was injured for most of this year. Um, so I've had my first couple matches back. I have some here locally in Knoxville, and I'm also currently filming a a. TV shows, so that's really exciting and really big news for me. Um, And what's that that called? It's called 20 by 20 with Sarah Dox. I'm doing a series of interviews where I talk to professional wrestlers um, who have dealt with cancel culture and different kinds of struggles in it, whether they got canceled or they someone canceled or they just are dealing with the fallout of people around them being canceled and how it's affected them mentally, how they've dealt with like regular life and wrestling mentally. Cause I don't think enough wrestlers, I think because we're seen as like people who are super strong, no one considers that there's a a soft spot on the inside. Um, and a lot of wrestlers don't show when they're hurting or when they're burnt out or, you
0: know. It's tough being a professional bad
2: guy for for years, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then uh, what other different characters have you worked in wrestling as yourself?
2: I've always been Saradox. Um, I have never had to change that, but my physical appearance has changed so much over the years of being Sarah. Uh, that some I've had people that like I met like five or six years ago when I would show up places, be like, Oh my God, I didn't realize that was you.
0: You oh, don't look wow. the same.
2: Okay. Cause I started wrestling when I was 24 and I had funny colored hair and wore really different clothing. And then I had uh, some physical health and mental health struggles and I gained a lot of weight and I got really big for a year or two and it completely changed my appearance physically and the way I dressed and wrestled changed to me this new body that I had and then I lost a lot of that weight and let my hair grow out to be closer to my natural color cause I am naturally a blonde, just not a super light-haired blonde and okay. changed changed my gear up because I felt like the, the wrestling boots and the singlet and all that stuff for when I was working more heavily an older Southern style.
0: Okay. And then who are some of the up and comers that you've seen that people should keep an eye on?
2: I think people should keep an eye on, As oh man, there's so many people that I've met recently that are just so, so good. Um, Brian Richards is fantastic. Um, He's farther. He's closer to like Detroit and Indianapolis and those areas. He's really, really great. Um, I got to wrestle. I'm trying to think who would be, because I say up and comers as in anyone that is, even if you're like changing the way you wrestle or how you wrestle. Um, Okay, yeah. So, like, Chet Ripley hadn't done many death matches, and he was at God of Death 4 just this month w- with me. And he wrestled my husband, and he was amazing.
0: Right on. I okay. know that,
2: that I watch a lot of Nathan Mowry's stuff, and I hope to see more of him.
0: All right, cool. We're going to have to check him out. Okay, yeah. and then uh, how, do pe- how do people get a hold of you? I'm on Facebook and Instagram.
2: I have Twitter, but I regularly get locked out of it or don't remember to look at it. Facebooking <laughs> me, Instagramming me, I am, I'm always on one of those two. I'll respond. Okay.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, hey, Sarah, I want to appreciate, we appreciate your time and thank you for coming on. It's an honor to interview you and I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, I'm, I'm sure Sign Guy has some more.
1: Yep. Thank you, Coach. Well, sir, we talked about some of the toughest wrestlers that you've wrestled, but we all know, especially in today's environment, hardest chops usually comes into the scenario because wrestling fans love it when there are chops during the matches and a lot of wrestlers are known for throwing very heavy handed chops what would you say has been the hardest chop you've taken
2: um there are three that definitely tie and it could have been sheer luck that you know I didn't die from any of them um Menace's chops uh, are absolutely horrible to take. Mickey Knuckles chops are so so tough. And to be honest, I think I I wrestled Necro Butcher in January and those are prob- they might edge out the other two slightly, but it's a hard a hard three-way tie. They're all
1: yeah.
2: tough. So
1: In a related topic, what would you say is the hardest chop that you have given?
2: Oh, man. So this is a weird thing. I have an uncanny ability to not be able to give hard chops to the chest, and everybody makes fun of me for it. But I give awesome back chops. Don't know why. Don't know why my hands stop working when it's someone's chest. They just don't. But I have had two people, like, threaten to leave the ring over back chops. And one of them was against Chase Stevens, (laughs) and and I believe the other was my husband, Brad.
1: Now, did he threaten to leave the wrestling ring, or did he threaten to leave and take his wedding ring with him?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well... He probably meant the wedding ring part, but he got out of the wrestling ring and was like, I'm not getting back in. Say sorry.
1: Understood. Now, you wrestle at Girl Fight quite a bit, and that is Madman Pondo's company. He has been known to travel to Japan and make a pretty good living in Japan off of many, many tours. A lot of wrestlers on the independent circuit in the United States in the last decade have had the chance to go to Japan, where previously it was more or less cut off for independent wrestlers to go over there. Is Japan something that you've considered as a place to go to wrestle?
2: Japan would be a a huge deal for me. Um, I... I grew up loving bull Nakano and Miko Satamura, and um my dad had like an old scrambler box, so we I watched Gaia wrestling the first like real intro to all women's really hard hitting wrestling I had was Japanese wrestling um it would mean the world yeah That i would that would be a dream. I don't know that I I'll ever get there on on wrestling terms, but it would be the coolest thing ever.
1: Have you ever sat down with Pondo and discussed the pros and cons of going over there and what you would need to do to be able to make it to where happen?
2: You know, I've sat down with Pondo a lot and it always ends up our conversations always end up being about two things. Him either picking on me and making fun out of me because I did something dumb or us. We talk a lot about horror movie stuff. We're both big horror fanatics. It's funny. He brought, he just came back from Japan recently and brought, uh, and Shadow WX came with him. And my husband and my best friend, Travis Dykes, they wrestled against Pondo and Shadow in a match. And we all, like, went out to eat afterwards. I don't know why I never think to do things like talk about how to further my career, but instead, like, you know, we talked about driving go-karts and popper bats.
1: Fair enough. I believe Pondo and Shadow are on their baseball parks tour of America right now. Yes. Now, you also are in a genre of wrestling that is going to lead to more injuries than if you were primarily doing standard matches, and even doing just standard matches, there's a 100% chance you're going to get injured at some point in time or another if you do this very long. We talked about the bicep earlier. But what are some of the other injuries that you've had to overcome in your career?
2: In the last year, I have had a blown patella, partially torn meniscus. I have torn three ligaments in my ankle and broken my foot. And that's just this year. Um, I have dislocated my hips on more than one occasion and my knee on more than one occasion. And I had to have facial reconstructive surgery twice.
1: Never um, a fun name when you come out with injuries that require facial reconstruction surgery.
2: Um, oddly enough, they were both um, they were both wrestling women, um, both women that I love, and I would wrestle again in a heartbeat. But you know, accidents happen, things go wrong, and uh, one crack, so it started with um, my orbital socket being cracked by a chair, and I ignored that instead of letting it heal properly, and after ignoring that, I got caught with an elbow, and it just, shattered the rest of my orbital socket in my nose. And so that happened, and I had to have my nose, like, restraightened, straightened and they had to put, like, a, like stints in there to hold the center of my nose in place while it healed on my cheekbones and my eyebrow bones. Um, then they did that, and it healed fine. My face looked totally normal. I looked like me. I was very pleased and then i immediately went and got my nose broken again and i had to do a, a full reduction rhinoplasty where they lifted it and like straightened it and both sides of my nose have like 80% deviation now so i look like me i just can't breathe <laughs>
1: that sounds painful but but i can relate to the facial injuries. Pondo can tell you the story if you ever sit down with them. But um, one of the things, and I'm sure it's true on the deathmatch circuit as much as any other genre of wrestling, oftentimes at the independent level, wrestlers will make far more selling merchandise than they will actually doing the matches. A lot of times wrestlers take reduced rates just so they can get into the venue to sell their merchandise. Do you personally have a lot of merchandise on the market available for fans to buy?
2: No, I have always been really bad about not selling enough merchandise. I'm I'm I'll make stuff, I'll bring it, it'll sell out and then it'll just be months before I I get anything together to sell again, to be honest. I don't know why I do that to myself. It's a personal choice. I'm just lazy, I guess. I, don't know. I have I have shot glasses and lighters, and I've, I sell pictures, and I have I have cups that I've sold, and shirts. I just don't ever think to bring them when I'm packing. I'm always so focused on trying. It sounds silly. I'm really high strung. I want to have the best match that I can give every night. So for me, it's about trying to to do well, and I get in my own head, and I don't think about selling merch. I'm like, oh, man, what if I really botch this and I'm awful and everybody hates me and nobody wants to talk to me again, so i got to make sure I do really well, and then I leave all my merchandise sitting in a box at my house.
1: That probably does dip into your sales there.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, as we both know, if a wrestler can slap their logo or name onto anything and get fans to pay a few dollars for it, they will do so. What would you say has been the strangest thing that you've seen wrestlers trying to market to fans?
2: The strangest thing? Man, I don't know. I mean... My husband has literally sold shark teeth that he's used in matches before, so that's pretty weird. I don't think there's any other type of job in the world where you would hit someone with an object covered in shark teeth and then, like, sell the teeth individually that flew off. Okay, well, I guess if you're, like, a beach
1: tourist salesman, you could
2: sell shark teeth.
1: <laughs> or a shark dentist, I guess.
2: Yeah, shark. Yeah, the shark dentist. Oh my god, that's what I'm going to call him.
1: That's funny. Yeah. I won't even charge your royalties when you make the shark dentist T-shirt for him. <laughs>
2: good. good, good. Now I need to do it.
1: <laughs> oh, since you are the queen of the barefoot death matches, uh, we know. Death matches use a lot of different objects in them to use as weapons. Uh, we've seen light tubes, mouse traps, broken glass, thumbtacks, barbed wire, all manners of things. What would you say has been the strangest object that you've seen used in a death match? Oh
2: man, the strangest object. Um. I once got the pleasure of using one of those childhood dollar like clappers with gussets on it and I was really, really fond of that. Um it was super odd. I don't know. People bring weird stuff. Um, whole fruits and vegetables. Like just like a a giant garden squash, like from someone's garden. That's like the size of your pillow. Just not carved. Um I bought a, an entire ham once for Travis Dyke's two years in a match because I love the cartoon regular show and they talk about ham boning in it. And I was like, here, man, here's your ham bone.
1: Oh. In those death matches, I'm sure a lot of it uh, hurts quite a bit. But what would you say has been the most surprising thing that you found hurt more than what you would normally expect?
2: Oh, man, the most surprising thing that hurt. Um, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of of getting hit with televisions. They're really, really heavy. I don't know. I guess I just always thought it's a tv it'll just be like any other object but it's like there's always some part of it that pokes out and like a you know an auxiliary cord somewhere or a cable or something and that thought always manages to find me it's always sucky i don't mind i'm the weirdo in wrestling everybody tells me that even people i wrestle tell me that i like carpet strips i like um all the things other wrestlers don't I would rather use a glass pane than take light
0: tubes.
2: (laughs) I don't like using chairs, but I love barbed wire and carpet strips and gussets and thumbtacks. Those things, they don't bug me.
1: Fair enough. Uh, One of the... More underrated roles in professional wrestling is that of the ring announcer, and the ring announcer is usually, from the fan's perspective, the face of the company. A lot of fans, whether it is legitimate or not, they see the ring announcer as the person being in charge of the company. Ring announcers have to make sure the fans know where to go spend their money by telling them where the merchandise is where to buy the next show's tickets, how to support on social media, all of those things. And if a ring announcer does not know what they're doing, fans are going to be lost following along on the show. They aren't going to spend as much money. The enjoyment level is going to be much lower. So it's very important to have a good, solid ring announcer for your show. Who are some of the ones out there that you think deserve more credit than what they get?
2: Oh, I think um, as far as being, like, a great face for your company, as someone you can trust to, like, really talk on their feet and give you the best of the best. I've seen him perform when the microphone stops working and keep the crowd able to understand and listen to him is Nathan Hamilton. Uh, I think he's super underused and super underappreciated. And I really, really like um, the ring announcer from AWR, Max Hegelson. He was fantastic. He kept everything exactly. I I don't have a lot of names to, like, memorize. I just go by Sarah or Sarah with an H or Sarah Dox or the Queen of the Barefoot Deathmatch. So it's all simple. So if you can make it fun and entertaining, then that always catches my eye because most people just kind of like, ah, oh, it's Sarah. So Max Hagelson, Nathan Hamilton, they're stellar announcers.
1: Duly noted. Well, we're down at the last few minutes of the show and I want to make sure there is ample time for you to say anything you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything and everything you would like, social media, upcoming shows, merchandise, your favorite seafood restaurant, anything in the world you would like, the floor <laughs> is yours. Um, I just want uh, people
2: to... Continue watching me at t b w keep an eye out on social media, see where I am, because I am always open to traveling and going places, even if it's at the last minute sometimes. And most importantly, right now, if everyone could go and watch 20 by 20 with Saradox on com. you can find a million links that will be listed. Tonight is the airing night, it's the debut night for our first episode, so... That's
1: all. Thank you. Well, Sarah, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, and you are welcome back anytime. Best of luck in that new project. That sounds like a really fascinating project. And best of luck as you continue on in your career.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for everything.
0: You're welcome.
1: Bye. And definitely... Get out there, support Sarah if she's on a show near you. Jump on the YouTube and watch some of her matches. If you are not familiar, definitely remedy that and get familiar. Coach, I'm sure you have some things to say, plug, and promote as we wrap this up.
0: Yeah, you guys can check me out at Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most. Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for hundreds of interviews from celebrities all over the world. And then also the Coach Mike Jones Show podcast every Saturday at noon Pacific. Just had a great show last night with Ron Von Hess. Got some stuff off his chest. Got to finally interview him. And then my upcoming schedule I'm really happy about. Next week I have Nikki Six from the Suicide Kings. August 12th I have the nice man Hank Miller. August 19th, I have the Seattle Sports Union guys, Abe and the Soul Man. We'll be doing a Mariners special that day. And then after that show, I'll be on the Seattle Sports Union show to do a wrestling show. And then August 26th, I got Y.T. Jones. I want to thank you guys all for all your love and support and input and feedback. We appreciate it.
1: Now, Coach, to avoid any long-term heat, It is Y period
0: T period Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can keep up with the Joneses, exactly.
1: Yes, but don't forget those periods or otherwise you can get mad. He'll yell at you.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right, man. No problem.
1: All right. Well, fans, if you're looking for some wrestling and you're not (laughs) going to be able to get out today, Northwest Pro. Right as we are speaking, live streaming their show, you can listen to Old Ken Hamlin call the action there. They're in the middle of their second show in two days there at the Wailing Days Festival. Lots of wrestling happening around the country today, so get out there and support if you are able to get out there. We'll be back with you next week, next Friday afternoon. We bring you Derek Destiny, wrestler out of Rhode Island. He is taking a decade off, but he is making his comeback, and then we will be back with you next Sunday as well. So make sure you plan on being with us. Stay safe out there, and we will talk to you soon.